Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, welcome to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. It is great to have you with us today. Welcome to our online campus. And if you're here for the first time, we are thrilled that you've joined us. Now, last week, we made an announcement about new service times that begin next Sunday, the 19th of February. So mark your calendars, 8.30, 9.45, and 11. If you can help us get the word out on that, social media, we'll have it on the newsletter on the website this afternoon. But three service times to choose from, 8.30, 9.45, and 11. And hopefully that will alleviate some of the pressure, especially with this service time great problem to have, and I appreciate everybody being so patient with that. So we've been in a series called Priorities, and I, first of all, I really appreciate Matt and Hardy for, for helping me with this series, but I got to thinking about it, the topics they picked, they really weren't that hard of topics for them, right? I mean, Matt talking about raising kids, I mean, he's got three perfect little angel boys that are always behaving, so for him talking about parenting, it probably wasn't a big deal. And then Hardy, Last week, if you were here, he talked about honesty. I mean, that guy's a cross between like Mother Teresa and Tim Tebow, right? He, he's like the most honest guy you would ever meet. But they did a, a great job. I did find out this week that Hardy's speaking next week at New River for Black History Month at 3 o'clock on Sunday. So if you need that Hardy fix, you know, you get tired of hearing me, make sure you check that out. But those guys are so awesome and if you didn't get to watch those, make sure you watch those two talks. So today, what we're going to talk about is your favorite subject, my favorite subject. We're going to talk about how do we prioritize money. In other words, how do we prioritize money so that it doesn't take over our life? But before we get into that, I found a couple of fun things that would help you when it comes to money. If you're going to borrow money in life, and I know some of you loan money. But if you're going to borrow money in life, always borrow money from a pessimist because they never expect you're going to pay them back. So that's, that's good financial advice. Here's the other one. It's true that money can't buy you true love, but it can sure put you in a better position to negotiate and bargain for true love. All right. So single people write that down. Now, here's the question. If marriage is grand, then what is divorce? 50 grand. Okay. All right. That's terrible. Terrible. All right. Let's jump right in. If you want to follow along with our notes today, they are available on the Church Center app, or you can scan that QR code in front of you, or online campus will send you a link. But here's learning number one. Money is precious to us. Let's make no mistake. In the culture we live in, it's precious to us. It's valuable to uh, to us. And whether we want to admit it or not, most of us, money is our number one priority. Before our faith, before our spouse, sometimes even before our kids, money goes to the top of the pyramid. We don't like to admit that, but it does because our whole world, our whole lives revolve around money. And if you don't believe me, think about this. How often do you think about money? We think about money all the time, you know, how to spend it, how much, uh, how to make it, how to make more of it, how to save it, how to invest it, you know, how much am I going to need next week, next month, how much am I going to need in retirement? 
I would venture to say that most of us spend more mind time and think time focused on money than we do even on God. And so today is about learning how to get it not from being the top priority, but one of those things that we have to prioritize in life that lines up with our values. And listen, God is no dummy. He knew that we were going to be focused on this and how, you know, our world operates. He knew that money was going to compete for our heart against him. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. But we can't escape it in our world, right? Look at, listen to lyrics of songs, watch uh, programs and movies. It's all about money and having more money or gaining more money. We live in a society and in a culture where we worship people that have money and we kind of look down on or frown on people that don't have money. So it takes a lot of our heart and it takes a lot of our mind if we're not careful. And before long, we have an unhealthy relationship with it. And if we have an unhealthy relationship with money, that's going to lead to unhealthy relationships, you know, with others, especially with God. So today's about learning how to move it from the top priority to simply one of those things we prioritize in our life that lines up with our values so that we don't think about it and we don't focus on it all the time. Money's also, uh, it's an important topic biblically. It's talked about a ton in the scripture. And I think it's almost half of the parables that Jesus taught dealt with money or possessions or generosity. There's a third more references to money and possessions in the scripture as there are to even love. And again, that's because the Lord knew there was a direct correlation between our financial health or our financial lives and our spiritual lives. How many of our problems in life are caused by money? And if you start to think about it, a lot of them, a lot of our marriage problems are the result of money. And again, it's simply because we don't prioritize it correctly. We prioritize it, but we don't prioritize it correctly. You know, does the way I handle my money really show what I value the most in life? And so the first thing we're going to talk about is how do we prioritize how we handle it? And I think the first thing we have to do is realize it's not ours. You know, wait a minute, it's mine. Like that kid in the the video, I earned this, it's my paycheck. But truthfully, everything we have belongs to God. That's where it came from. That's who it belongs to. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. God is saying, hey, I am the source of everything that you have. And truthfully, we are simply using what God has blessed us with, what God has given us while we're here on this earth. Because I assure you, none of us are going to take anything with us 
right? When we go, we're going to leave it behind. So one of the best ways to prioritize money, uh, or another good way of prioritizing money is this. Learning number two, what financial means I have is not all for me. It's not all for me. I'm not to keep every single thing in my life for me. In other words, there has to be, if we're going to prioritize it the way God says to prioritize it, there has to be an element of generosity in our lives. You can't read the scripture and not walk away with seeing that God calls us to give. God calls us to generosity in our life. And it's not because God has a car payment, right? Or God has a house payment he's got to make, but he knows if he can get Scott to live his life with a little generosity, then Scott's going to be a little less selfish. He's going to move from being selfish to selfless. He knows that if he can get me to be a little bit generous with what the abundance he's given me, then it's going to move the focus off of me and put the focus on him and his priorities. Another reason that we should really, you know, prioritize generosity or an element of generosity in our life is it fights what I think is one of the worst problems in American culture, and that is materialism or discontentment. See, when we're generous with a little bit of what we have, it counteracts our discontentment in life. And God's call to generosity in all of us, it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things. It doesn't mean that we can't do nice things. God simply says, Scott, I just want you to live generously. I just want you to model Christ and his generosity in your life. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 through 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Now, how many of us really believe that verse? You know, how how does that work? Let's look at a well, before we look at another verse, let me, let me get where I was. The generous will prosper. How many of us believe that? That if we give, we're still going to be prosperous, but that is God's promise. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We are the richest generation in, in probably all time, the generation that's living now. We've got an abundance more than we've ever had, yet we don't believe that if we're generous, we're going to prosper. We don't believe that if we're generous, we're going to have enough for ourselves. That's why people get tense when you talk about money. I'm sure when I told you today we're talking about prioritizing money, your first thing was to get a little tense. Why do we get tense when we talk about money in church? And let's see, it was probably a year ago, year and a half ago, we did a series on not, we didn't even talk hardly about generosity and what God says about generosity. We talked about financial principles that are in the Bible. And we'll look at a few of them today. Financial principles around debt and financial principles around saving and financial principles that God teaches all throughout the scripture. And after we did that series, got lots of, yeah, that helped me a lot. That helped me and my spouse a lot, but I got a nasty letter in, in our post office box. And it wasn't signed. 
And they said, you know, you shouldn't have talked about money in church. Even though it's talked about all throughout the scripture, you shouldn't have talked about it. It should have been in a class or something. And I thought about that. And it, it kind of bothered me. And I'm like, why do people get so upset? And I thought, here's why. Because often when we push back on something, it's because it's an area of our life that we're spiritually unhealthy. Right? And I'm thinking, okay, this person was probably not healthy in that area of their life, but it makes us tense because we really don't believe that if we're generous, we're going to prosper. But that's one of God's promises. And what generosity does is it kind of solves that unhealthiness in us when it comes to money and when it comes to possessions and when it comes even to our time and all the things that God has given us. So how do we do it? How do we be generous? Or at least the way that God calls us that one element or a part of our life should have generosity. And I think the first thing we have to do is we got to learn to be content, right, with what we have. That is such an issue in our culture today. Those of you, that, and I'm not, not everybody watches the Super Bowl, but if you watch the Super Bowl, pay attention to the commercials because it's constantly trying to feed our discontentment. Be unhappy with what you have. You need what we're offering. But if we can learn to be content, we're going to have a lot more room in our life to walk generously or to be obedient to God's call of generosity. 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 and 8, next scripture verse. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Now, I think on the surface, we would all agree with that, right? That means if we're content, it's going to be enough for our life, and God is going to take care of us. Now, how many people that you work with or maybe that are in your neighborhood do you think are generous? And that's just something for you to think about. If you were to ask anybody, if they were generous, they're probably going to tell you yes, because they're going to think back on a time they were generous in their life or a couple times they were generous, and they're going to say, yeah, I'm generous. I did this, and then I did this. But biblical generosity, what God calls us to, it's not a once and done or a, tw a twice and done thing. It is continuous. It is consistent in our life. It's basically who we are all the time. So we have to build into our life. If we're going to prioritize money correctly, we have to build into our life an element of generosity. And then God tells us, the beauty is God tells us in the scripture why that's important. Well, why do, you, why do I have to be generous? Why do you want me to be generous? Other than it's going to make me content in life or a little more content in life, and I'm not going to focus all the time on myself, but it also cultivates happiness in our life. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, when he's getting ready to leave for Rome, he's talking to some of the people from Ephesus and he says, hey, I tried to live a generous life. I found that was the best way to live. And he wasn't being flipping or, or bragging, saying, oh, look at all this stuff I, I, I've done. He just said, this was the best way to live. As a matter of fact, let's look at that verse, Acts 20, verse 35. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need 
by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what he was saying, what Jesus was saying through Paul is people who choose to live generously are going to have happiness in life. They're going to be more blessed in life. And this isn't about a prosperity gospel type thing. Well, you give 10, you're going to receive 100. No, that's not what this is about. It's about having a happy life and a fulfilled life. So let's say you're here today or you're watching and you'd say, well, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know where I stand on this whole faith journey. That's okay. You should still live a generous life. There should be a portion of generosity in your life because the promise is you're going to be happier. And the beauty of God's principles, whether you follow Christ or not, they're going to come true in your life. So yes, it is true that money cannot buy happiness. Every parent has told us that, right? Money's not going to buy you happiness. But we can be generous, we can give, and God says you will receive happiness in your life. That's one of his promises, and that's why he says, this is why I call you to be generous. There's benefits to you as well. Now, if you're on the other end of that spectrum and you're a follower of Christ, there's an even deeper implication for why generosity matters and really why we should prioritize it in our life, that aspect of it. Because when we're generous, we're strengthening our own faith. How's that? Well, if you're generous, let's say you've got an element of generosity and you give a portion of what you make away, whatever that looks like. Now you have, if you look at it from a straight balance sheet perspective, you have less to live on, right? All right, I gave a little bit of mine away, so I have less coming in and I've got less to live in, live on. What does that do? It makes us trust God more, right? We have to truly take him at his word that he's going to take care of us and he's going to provide for us. But the reason we don't believe that the generous will prosper is ultimately we don't believe that God's going to take care of us. I got to do this on my own. That's great that he says he's going to do that, but I'm going to keep this because I need to take care of myself. But listen to 1 Timothy 6.17. I love this. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Ultimately, what the Lord's saying here through the Apostle Paul is riches... There's nothing wrong with riches, but riches have the potential, if we're not careful, if we don't have an element of generosity to affect us. Riches have the potential to make us a little bit arrogant, right? Uh, Riches have the potential to make us a little prideful. But I think the most dangerous thing is riches have the potential to make us seem like we're self-sufficient that we're doing it on our own, that we're providing for ourselves and we're taking care of ourselves. And it actually makes us a little self-centered. But the most dangerous thing it can do is it has the potential to draw us away from Christ because, okay, I don't need to rely on Christ because I'm doing all this by myself. 
Now, let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with being rich at all. There is nothing wrong with having tremendous wealth. I mean, who gives us the ability to make wealth? It comes from God, right? Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. So there's nothing wrong with having wealth or, or, or having riches. Again, God just says, I want you to have an element of generosity in your life. I want you to model the generosity of my son. And so when we practice generosity to God, and I firmly believe that has to start within the local church, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but whenever we practice generosity to God, it's going to strengthen our faith because we're truly trusting that he's going to provide for us and he's going to take care of us. Okay, God, if I do this aspect that you're asking me to do, then I'm trusting that you're going to provide for me. And so it builds our faith. Now, why do I say the local church? Wherever you go to church, maybe your church was closed today, maybe you're here and this isn't your home church, but wherever you go to church, I think that's where our generosity has to start. Why? The local church is the representative of Christ on this earth. When Jesus left, he left the church to be him, right? To be his presence on this earth. So I firmly believe that's where our generosity has to start. That doesn't mean that's where our generosity stops, right? We should be about furthering God's kingdom, and there's multiple ways to do that. But it starts with the local church. And people will say, well, you're, you're just saying that because you want people to give to this church. No. Here's what I tell people in partnership class. You can come to church here. Awesome. You give your generosity to another church while you come here and see if God doesn't bless your faithfulness. It's all about simply us having an element of generosity in our lives. But wherever we land eventually, wherever it is, it's that body of believers that we hang out with and we fellowship with and that we worship with, that's where our generosity has to start. That's what God says in the scripture. But then our generosity has to spread out from there. See, there's an element of people seeing Christ in us outside of the church when we're generous, whether that be with money, whether that be with time, whether that be with our attitude or our actions. Generous people, no matter what they're being generous with, they have simply decided this is how I'm going to live all the time. And the way they can do that is they realize nothing they have is theirs. It's all from God, and it's all on loan from God. So I think one of the first things we have to do is establish that whole ownership thing. Who really owns what I have? Jesus talked about this again in Luke. So it must have been pretty important, but Luke chapter 12, verse 20 through 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is a guy that built bigger barns to store everything that he had, and he was incredibly wealthy. But Jesus wasn't calling him a fool because he was wealthy. He wasn't calling him a fool because he was rich. He was calling him a fool because he didn't know why he was rich. It was all because of God. And he basically is showing us this. This guy represents a total loss because he didn't have a relationship with God. He wasn't rich in a relationship towards God. And he wasn't going to take everything that he had made with him when he left the earth. So we have to develop, if we're going to prioritize money correctly, and it's going to line up with what we truly value in life, we have to develop a plan that includes generosity. In that overarching plan, not to get to, you know, like a financial planner, but we have to manage what God gives us well, right? I think we'd all agree with that. We have to manage well what God gives us. We got to learn to live on that dirty word starts with a B, a budget, right? And we've got to live within our means. If we're ever going to do what God calls us to do, to have an element of generosity, we have to manage well what he's already given us. And listen, any good banker or teacher or parent is going to tell you, you got to live on a budget and you got to get out of debt. That's any financial 101 class. Those are are two big principles. You got to have a budget and you got to get out of debt. Then you start this pathway to having some financial freedom in your life. Proverbs 22, 7. Let's talk about debt for a minute. We'll get really practical. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, Debt is never painted in a great light in the Scripture, especially unsecured debt where there's nothing behind it. So let's talk about debt for a minute. Learning number three, financial freedom is not achieved by simply making more. That's what we think, right? It comes from spending less. And that's what a budget does for us, right? It helps us to spend less and really bring our spending in line with our income and what God has provided for us. Getting out of debt, it's not easy. It's not quick. It's not fun. It's actually kind of painful, right? But it is the starting point for us to have some freedom when it comes to our finances and freedom when it comes to money. And then it's not always on our minds. It's not always our primary focus. And if we can get ourselves, especially if you're young, if you can get yourself out of debt early and stay out of debt, guess what you can start doing? Not just being generous, you can start paying yourself. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You can start saving. Now, when you read the scripture, it talks a lot about saving. And it's always painted in a very positive light. Look at Proverbs 21.20. The wise man saves for the future. But the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I know what some of you are thinking, well, we're not guaranteed a future, so I'm just going to have fun today. No, that's true. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we have to prepare as if we're going to have a tomorrow. Proverbs 27, 23 and 24 says, know the state of your flocks. In other words, that budget in today's terms helps us to know the state 
of our finances, right? Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Put your heart into managing well what God has already given us. So many people pray, oh God, you know, come into my financial world and get my finances straight, but they're not willing to take practical steps to begin to handle money correctly or to live on a budget or to get out of debt. Here's another verse on debt, and then I'm going to share some stats with you on debt. Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Why am I harping on debt? Because it's something that 77% of us carry. 77% of us watching and in this room have some form of debt. American households, household debt in America is currently at $12 trillion. We have $4.5 trillion of non-household debt. We have $1.5 trillion of automotive debt. 42.8 million students or graduates have $1.75 trillion in debt. Anybody heard anything on student loans lately? Okay, I'm sorry. If you took all the debt that we have and divided it by anybody 18 and up, every single adult is averaging $58,604 in debt. That's according to Ramsey Solutions. That counts all the retired people that have no debt. That's crazy. 43% of us spend more than we make. 64% of us live paycheck to paycheck. 84% of all new car purchases have a loan attached to them. According to Money Geek, this is what I really like, credit card debt. Not that any of us have any credit card debt, but if we did, this is what the statistics would look like. And credit card debt in 2022 went up 18% in America. That's crazy. So if you took all the credit card debt in the United States, and then you divided it by the number of credit cards that have been issued, and I think I've got three credit cards in my pocket. If you took that number and divided it out, every single credit card that is active has an average balance of $5,769. That's crazy. And you may say, well, mine doesn't have any. That means your neighbor's is running about eleven five, <laughs> right? So why, why is that important? Debt destroys marriages. Finances is the number one reason cited for divorce today. It's not infidelity. It, it, it destroys marriages. It impacts our kids. It can cause health problems, you know, because c- of the worry and the stress. We become so obsessed with money. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy friendships. And listen, I share those grim numbers not to depress you, but to show you if we don't start living the way God says we're going to live, we're heading in the wrong direction. And if we don't do something as individuals, Don't even get me started on the government and the amount of debt. But if we don't do something as individuals, statistics say that the majority of us, and we could say, okay, the majority is 51%, but the majority of us is going to be financially dependent on somebody else when we get to retirement age. Now, you think about your kids and them taking care of you. 
We need to do something, right? I don't think my kids would take care of me, right? I'm kidding. But it's true. We will be financially dependent on somebody else if we don't do something. And I know I've shared a lot of bad news and bad statistics, but I want you to know searching through all this on the internet, the internet's not all negative. I found the cure to belly fat this week. It was at the bottom of one of my news articles. It was amazing. And the other thing I found out is, and and I'm, I'm really not trying to be boastful, but I found out I have a distant relative who's a Nigerian prince. And I'm getting money this week because of that. So that's awesome. But the truth is, we need to laugh a little bit, but we all want better finances. We all want to follow the biblical principles, and it starts with doing some practical things, to live on a budget, to get out of debt, to start living within or even below our means, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Another reason debt's so bad is it distracts us from what God wants to do in and through our lives, right? We're worried about it. We're working one job or two jobs or two and a half jobs to pay off this debt, and we don't have time for God or to talk to God or to pray to God or anything. Now, obviously, uh, at this church, we recommend, um, one of the courses we recommend is financial peace. We make every couple that's getting married through a pastor at the church go through financial peace. We have a growth group that starts today. If that interests you, you can go. It's at 2 o'clock. It's here at the church. But any financial class that teaches, we don't teach this in schools anymore. So any financial class is a great way to start, but we have to stop the bleeding. Because if we don't, we're going to regret it when we get down the road. And let me just conclude with this. You know, our worldly mentality thinks that living on a budget or living generously as God calls us to do, it's going to steal us from fun. It's going to take away from our enjoyment in life. It's going to give us less choices in life because there's not going to be as much for ourselves or you're saying I have to wait on this. But the truth is, it gives us more choices in life because we have more freedom. We have more peace. We're living the way God says to live. We're going to have more joy in our life. We're going to have a richer relationship with God because we're not constantly, all the time, focused on money. It's not going to stay at the top of that pyramid. So let me encourage you, start today. I know what some of you think, well, what about the bets I've placed on DraftKings for the Super Bowl. I'm not even going to talk about that. But we got to start today if we're ever going to get down that path to financial freedom. Let's pray together. God, help us to acknowledge, Lord, that everything we do have comes from you. Our health, our money, our time, our resources. God, forgive us when we think it has something to do with us or that we earned it or we did it or we achieved it. You're the one that gave us our gifts and our abilities and our talents and help us to manage well what you've provided. Help us to live generously, to take a little bit of the focus off of ourselves and to put it on you and your kingdom. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people Lord, their willingness to come on a day that's not so attractive outside, but just the fact that we're always open to whatever it is you're teaching us and whatever you're showing us. And God, we acknowledge as a church, everything 
that has been achieved here, it's because of you. It's because you used each and every one of us in our unique gifts and abilities. And we just pray that, Lord, you would help us to continue to be a church that's a place of refuge for people, a place where people can learn about you, they can go at their own pace, that they can not only find you, but they can follow you. We love you and we praise you. Amen. So a couple of real quick things. Next week, 8.30, 9.45, and 11. I want to encourage you to go to our website, check out our groups page, uh, and look at all the groups that we're offering this, this winter session. I think there's 40-some groups out there. A couple I want to highlight is we've got a men's fellowship group. They are actually set up in the lobby. If you've got questions about, hey, what are you going to do in this group, or you want to sign up for that group, stop by and talk to Dan Cleveland on your way out. And then we, uh, you know, some of you, you have the gift of praying. And we have a group that prays all throughout the week for all of our prayer requests as a church. But we also have a group that meets, and it may not be as appealing to you since you're at the 1030 service, but they meet at 745 on Sunday mornings before the 830 service. And they pray for our services. And they pray for the kids area. And they pray for the people that are coming and the people that are serving. It's an awesome awesome ministry. So if that's something that interests you, I encourage you to check out that group. And then finally, today's the 12th. The 14th is right around the corner, guys. That is what? All right. One guy remembered. It's Valentine's Day. (laughs) That's awesome. Praise you, sir. The rest of you knuckleheads that didn't, make sure you stop by the men's room on the way out because there's something in there that'll help you for Valentine's Day. Listen, have a great afternoon. We will see you next Sunday. God bless you guys.